0: callers should check with their own financial professionals before implementing any suggestions that we may make. At times on this show, we talk about investments and investment performance. Investment returns are not guaranteed and past performance does not guarantee future results. And welcome to McNamara on Money. My name is Justin McNamara alongside Alyssa McNamara Reed. this morning. How are you doing, Alyssa?
1: Good. Good morning.
0: Good morning. Zoom is working again. All right, welcome everybody. This morning we are gonna do an investment product explainer show. I figured, I think most of us out there, generally speaking, are only using, I would say a fairly small percentage of the overall number of investment products out there in the marketplace. And that would include us as well, investment managers, They tend not to be investing everywhere, right? We tend to have specialties. We tend to have ways that we do things. And certainly us at McNamara Financial are no exception to that. But there are a lot of individual, there are a lot of options out there. And I thought we would just take some time And go through kind of the list of universe, even if it's just for your own information. Oh, I heard somebody refer to a structured product and I didn't know what that meant. I thought we would spend some time going through the the available investment universe and a little time on pros and cons. I think a a lot of this stuff may... Uh, maybe something that you never invest in, but I think more information is always better just in case. So uh, are yeah. you good with that?
1: I'm good with that. And I've never heard anyone mention a structured product <laughs> You're not going to the right <laughs> like casually. And I'm an investment uh, professional, so I that's saying something, but <laughs> structured product
0: the other day. Yeah, uh, um, yeah. I think
1: it's good to do a fundamentals based show today. And everyone's heard of bond mutual fund, but we'll get into it. We'll get into it a little bit more deeper than that. And there are different types and, and pros and cons cons and things like that. So yeah, I'm game. I know yeah. you put together the outline, so I will follow your lead.
0: I know we'll spend certainly more time on more popular investments and, and you know, th- things that we're, that the average person I think is more likely to actually invest in. But I do want to spend some time just going over a bit about the the less common, the less popular types of investments out there. Again, just for your own, just for your own information. Yep. all right so we'll start off easy i think we will start off with individual equities right so we're just talking about stocks okay and i don't think we need to spend a whole heck of a lot of time explaining what these are right you're talking about you're part owner of a company and essentially you're buying them for the appreciation potential maybe the dividend right if you're buying if you're buying. Google, you're probably hoping for more appreciation potential. If you're buying, I don't know, maybe Johnson & Johnson, you're maybe looking for more of a dividend payment. But the the idea is for you to own a part of a company and then participate in the profitability of that company in some way or some combination of ways so i won't spend too much time digging into that because i think most of us are probably on the same page as far as we basically know what that is the rubric sort of i'm going to use is to go through is i have we'll talk about the costs of all of these products to, to a greater or lesser extent depending on the product and then the sort of the management side in other words who's making the decisions on on the buying and the selling who's in charge of the process And then i have we'll have some pros and cons for each one so i think on the cost side i think the important thing to to talk about here is that the cost of owning stocks has come down really across the board right whether it's we're talking whether it's in mutual funds or exchange traded funds or just owning individual equities the costs are way down across the board right you know now almost everywhere that you would trade now you are not subject to a trading cost to buy or sell a stock, right? If you right. if we talk to you and I back in the two thousands, we were probably paying ten or fifteen dollars to trade mm-hmm. a stock, or maybe it was twenty. And if you if we talked to Dad back from the eighties, he he it was probably back then it More was probably not. fifty dollars. Yeah, I mean, so the cost of to actually purchase the shares has come down significantly over time, right? You no longer need a broker, right? There's no there's no one really taking a, much of a commission uh, right. other than a small spread between the bid and the ask price, which is essentially how the brokerage companies make money. That's really the only cost there is. And now a lot of those costs have come down so low that they're essentially zero. So you can go buy a share of, uh, of Amazon. And most of you who did that probably wouldn't pay you know, much at all. You certainly wouldn't see anything probably for your trading cost. And there may be a very small spread, but we're talking about more than likely pennies per share on the average stock purchase. Very low cost of ownership now on the stocks.
1: Yeah. I was wondering, actually, I didn't have any statistics regarding the spread and what sort of a profit margin the brokerage companies have on selling shares of stock. Is it like a per transaction or is it like a percentage of... Share price. Do you know how that works? Yeah, if like, if, if it... you look at
0: the, the the bid and the ask spread, yeah. is it will depend on the individual stock and the individual product that, that you're trading. So if, if you're if you have a stock that's traded billions of times a day, like Apple, you tend mm. to get a very tight spread, right? Uh, you know, okay, maybe yeah, only yeah. a few pennies. Yeah. If you're trading a stock that, you know, that only trades a few hundred times a day, if you're talking about you know, a penny stock or a stock that's just not very popular, doesn't have, and isn't particularly large, you may get a wider bid-ask spread. So that really is supply and demand driven. Yeah. And so that's, which, but essentially for most folks, right? So when we meet a client who comes in with a stock market portfolio, and I'm sorry, a stock portfolio that owns individual equities, we usually will see fairly fairly well known names, and so for those folks, you're probably really not paying a whole heck of a lot. There are some other costs. There may be a penny per share here or there, for larger trades. If you're buying a big block of shares, I think they add on a little bit of uh, they add on a little bit of an extra fee. But again, it's mostly very small. We're talking about it's usually yeah. measured in in maybe fifty Penny's cents on the dollars. dollars. Yeah, yeah, it's not a whole yeah. heck of a lot of money, and it's really only the if you trade a big block there is some kind of uh, some brokerage fee I'm sorry some some exchange some stock exchange fees but again oh, okay. it's it's based on as compared to your Portfolio size, the overall cost is very low. At least, and certainly, it's been trending that way. And I, I don't know how much lower it can go, unless you're going to start to get paid down stock. But it's a great time to be to be able to get equity exposure at a very low cost. Yeah, you could even you could even go. It used to be the case, and it's, it still is. But there are now even there are now even brokerages that will allow you to buy partial shares. I think I'm pretty sure. I, full disclosure: We don't have Robinhood accounts. Robinhood's obviously <laughs> yeah. in the pandemic, it became very popular especially for, for younger folks, they'll let you buy partial shares there, right? So you could put $10 into, obviously a share of Apple is not cost a bunch more than $10, but you can buy partial shares. And if you put it all together, you actually can, unlike in the past, you can build a fairly diversified stock portfolio for a very small amount of money, right? You could, in theory, open up a $10,000 account and you probably could buy hundreds and hundreds of stocks And be pretty diversified, right? So, you know, whether or not you should do that or whether or not there's a more effective way to go about that, and that's up for debate, but you certainly could if you had the time and the inclination... To build a diversified portfolio on your own, you could essentially opt out of asset management fees almost entirely. Let's just say if you're it's it would be you could theoretically buy the S P five hundred and just own each individual share, each individual stock. And you could do that without a whole heck of a lot of money if you can buy partial shares. But a simpler version is hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna go look at the S P five hundred and I'm I'm gonna take the top two hundred stocks in that and I'm gonna go buy the highest dividend pay. I mean the highest dividend payers for each in, each sector. And I'm going to build a diversified portfolio of 25 or 50 stocks that are pretty blue chip and pay me dividends. And that's how I'm going to do my investing. And that's certainly a possibility now. always has been, but now the amount of money that you need in order to do that is significantly lower.
1: I would like to know who has all this time in their life to to go (laughs) mimicking the S&P and putting together a stock portfolio and purchasing 200 different shares of stock. And yeah, that takes a lot of time and effort to manage that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Full disclosure. Yeah. You don't see that very often. We will we'll run into folks who have maybe 25 or 50 stocks on occasion. And again, once you get into most people who wouldn't buy a few hundred stocks, right? And even those who do, they're generally using, a. they may use a, a firm that does direct indexing. Direct indexing is essentially just like buying a mutual fund, but you own the underlying shares where someone just has an overlay and says, all right, yeah. here are the stocks you should buy. And they may or may not do some trading and tax stuff for you, but you don't. You just see giant portfolios. Full disclosure: if you're getting a paper statement and you own a few hundred stocks, oh god, yeah, uh, you can get. You may get 50 pages of a monthly statement, which is not probably not ideal for you. But yeah, you more commonly will see it in folks who are. I'm going to buy a bunch of big blue chip dividend paying companies, and I'm going. I'm going to live off my dividends, and when I see a new company that's that whatever the price comes down and the yield goes up, I'll go ahead and I'm going to buy that that fund and sell this fund. So it's a it can get certain the more stocks you have obviously the more work it is to maintain to monitor them all but if you wanted to do 25 50 names it's not it's like it's not all that difficult and with research with the available research now to folks it's, it's something that you can do again whether or not there's a better way to go about it and we'll talk about the rest of the investment options and how, how costs come down across the board but it's it's an option if you're into that i guess that's the best way to put it
1: yeah, I was just wondering if someone if holding a portfolio of individual stocks to mimic the S&P, for example, or part of it, like you're talking yeah. about here. I'm just wondering or thinking out loud if that would potentially encourage, potentially would encourage poor investor behavior, like you know, with an individual with a portfolio of individual stocks and you're seeing the fluctuation of them real time. And hold on sorry about that noise, could lead to wanting to get rid of securities that are down in value at a certain time. Whereas like holding it inside of the S&P 500, you don't have that same opportunity because it's embedded with, within the S&P index fund and you're holding it no matter what and giving it an opportunity to rebound if it will. Yeah. But I don't know, because depending on the individual investor could, I don't know, open opportunities to yeah. open up the, win- the door to poor investor behavior, I think. Or sure. perhaps people can get sucked in to, or almost obsessed with yeah. monitoring these things too frequently and trading too frequently. And I'm not necessarily sure that's better for people than buy and hold strategy, which where if you've just held the S&P 500 index fund, that's really what you're doing with the underlying companies. I mean,
0: yeah, I think you would be right yeah. to say that the average holder of an individual equity probably trades more frequently than, than yeah. the average holder of an index fund. And that's probably not a good thing i think that we would both yeah. suggest that and just looking at our business right so while i'll pick on uh, managed futures is i won't spend a lot of time on what exactly the investment is right now but it's to say that they are they tend to do well we have some portfolios that include a, an asset class called managed futures they tend to do well in a bear market and they tend to do very poorly in in good markets that's just oh. the nature of that investment and we spent a bunch of years talking to clients and so they do clients and investors do go that line by line and they say all right what's this fund doing what's that fund doing and we had a bunch of conversations about managed futures over not in 2022 because they've been They're terrific doing but, awesome yeah. but in 20 2018 2019 2020 into 2021 they were very pedestrian didn't make a whole lot of if any money and then we would have conversations, oh, why do we own this particular fund? So, yeah, you, you know, people do have a tendency to pick out the poor performer and at least want to not own it, yeah. whether or not it's ho- hopefully if you own it for a good reason. And in the case of managed futures, which happened to have had a great 2022 and have helped your portfolio, hopefully you can stick with it. But, yeah, I think it's. It's probably not a, I think you're. it's probably accurate to say if you're holding individual equities, you probably do trade more. And I think the research would, would likely suggest that you maybe sell at a bad time from at least from time to time.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So
0: the stock market fluctuates as do individual stock prices and people just tend to not tell those stocks keep going down. So they might sell them at a bad time.
1: Yeah. I think it's important before you go too much further with individual equities to for people to understand what like the components of a rate of return, because it's going to vary a little bit with these different investments that we're talking about today. The different investment vehicles. So I just think it's important you're talking about you. You were talking about dividends earlier. I just think at a basic level, it's important for people to understand that rate of return in a stock investment is comprised of the earnings that the yeah. investment will pay out. So dividends in the case of stock and the share price, the fluctuation and the change in share price. Obviously over time, you hope for share price appreciation. Sometimes we have periods of time like this year, for example, where many equities have seen share price depreciation and rate of return, which people are just used to running, it, calculating or hearing about a rate of return. It's comprised of those two things. So some, you were talking about dividend paying stocks. So those are really driven to have a higher earnings per share and maybe a lower share price appreciation over time as the companies aren't really investing in themselves they're profit sharing and it can be vice versa where you might own an equity that that doesn't pay out any earnings there's no dividends the company's investing in itself and looking for a higher share price appreciation at least over a long period of time and then obviously we would subtract from that any investor fees to calculate a net rate of return so just right. think that's important that's important for people to understand because it's going to vary a little bit When we talk about these different products
0: right yeah in the bigger picture if you look at the market as a whole i think it's about a third of if you look using the s p 500 as our as our benchmark about a third of the rate of return over i think since going back to 1926 is when we started when we started getting good data on that about a third of that return is from dividends Okay. The other two thirds is therefore from capital appreciation, right? in other words, appreciation of the value of the underlying stocks. As you get into the market, you'll see there's no, there are no, certainly no rules about it, right? So the company management gets to decide, all right, what are we going to uh. do with our money? Are we going to pay it out to shareholders? Are we going to reinvest in the company? You tend to see things like growth company, right? Technology companies, it's all about just building users and I want to get market share. And so you tend not to see a lot of dividends in the technology space, whereas maybe in energy or if you're a particularly large company, again, like I mentioned Johnson and Johnson, how much can you really grow, right? If you, you certainly can grow your market share, but the reality is once you get to a certain size and if you're not in an industry that's particularly conducive to 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 being able to grow even if you're investing. You may want to pay out more of your of your free cash flow in the form of dividends. So again, yeah. that's a company by company. The averages are about two-thirds is from appreciation, about a third from dividends, but you can certainly buy stocks that are yeah. expected to have where most of your return is probably going to be dividends because they're they're paying a healthy dividend, then it's a low growth industry, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. All right.
0: I don't really have anything else on individual stocks. You think Maybe just like
1: was- who they're appropriate for. I think that would be a good layer yeah. for all these investment vehicle discussions in terms of who might be wanting to consider investing in individual equities. I think going back to our earlier discussion about investor behavior and things like that, there are some people that like, just like to be very active with their, yeah. with their investing. And some people are in investment clubs and stuff like that and like do it for grow my wealth and have some fun with it. And yeah. there are people that just like that and want to be active and... And hopefully that translates to profitability. I think there are times when it doesn't and too much trading can limit your rate of return or reduce it, but but certainly not always the case. But I think that individual equities are appropriate for people that... Just that have time, number one, and to do some research and to s- and manage the their portfolio of potentially dozens or hundreds of individual stocks and and get some satisfaction from it and and can have some discipline to maybe hold things and allow them to recover and that's it's easy to it's easy to let things recover when it's a more diversified investment because generally speaking, diversified investments like mutual funds would be more, I think, a safer bet that they would recover from a down market, whereas an right. individual company, you just never know. Well, they won't necessarily recover from a down market. But yeah, I just think these are appropriate for people that have time, inclination to be active and get some personal satisfaction from trading yeah. in their portfolio. And that's not everybody. I, th- yeah, I would tell
0: you that if, unless your stock trading account is your sort of your fund money, right? If you if it's really your all of your investments are going to be in individual stocks. Generally speaking, the only time I'm comfortable with that is is when a, there are enough stocks in there that you're not going to get in trouble. So if you only own 10 stocks, and one goes out of business, then that's a major hit to your underlying portfolio. stay diversified. We say that with almost every investment strategy, but certainly with individual stocks. And um, I'm certainly more comfortable with it when you are in the assets that you are choosing tend to be more well-known, right? Companies that most people have heard of, right? You can certainly go build a portfolio of very small, small companies and have a bunch of appreciation potential, right? Because smaller companies just have further to grow than larger companies do, but you also get more volatility. Yeah. And so I tend, if someone shows up with 50 names and I go ahead and I read through the list and I recognize all 50 of the companies because it's Apple and it's Amazon, it's Johnson, it's yeah. Cisco, those tend not to bother me as much just right. because you don't see a lot of defaults
1: for very large companies. companies
0: defaulting. And so those are the two criteria that I would use to to say that's, probably okay. Again, you can do whatever you want. Once you get into small numbers of stocks and or less well-known stocks, you're just increasing your risk level that much more.
1: Yeah. And also actually under appropriateness, how could we forget if someone is putting together a portfolio of individual stocks, hopefully they have a very long period of time before they need right. the money. Because if right. you're yeah. if literally just investing in equities and no bonds or, or cash in there, then that's an aggressive investment strategy can be very volatile and you're going to want to give yourself a lot of time. So hopefully that's either a younger investor or if it's an older investor, someone that doesn't need the money for five, eight, 10 years or more because the equities are can be a very volatile and can take time to recover from debt. Downturns, years to recover from downturns. Yep. How could we? We have about one minute before the break. So, do you want to introduce the next investment vehicle?
0: Yeah, I think we'll spend some time. I think we'll spend the next few we're talking about individual equities, individual holdings. So, we're going to go through obviously, we did stocks, we'll do bonds, we'll get into a little bit of preferred stock and some convertible bonds. And then eventually we'll move out into the, the package products, the mutual fund and the ETF world and all kinds of good stuff there. Yeah, I think that's where we're going to go next. I don't, I think we, if we're okay to wrap now, I think it's probably a good time to do. Yeah. Uh, you are listening to McNamara on Money. My name is Justin McNamara. You can check us out at McNamaraFinancial.com down in Marshfield or for our Chelmsford office, it's McNamara of the Merrimack.com and we will be right back. Ho ho And welcome back to McNamara on Money. My name is Justin McNamara, alongside Alyssa McNamara Reed, and we are talking about investment products this morning. Alyssa, you still with me?
1: I'm with you. Good morning.
0: All right. Okay. So we, as I mentioned at the top of the show, we're going to go through the uh, the investment products that are available to you, to you, the investor. Most of them you probably will have heard of, and then later on in the show, we'll get into some more, some less common investment products, but the kind of thing that you may want to know about just in case, or maybe it's the kind of thing that you're looking for a hot new investment product and something different and you want to research, and maybe we'll give you some ideas here later on in the show. So I think we covered individual stocks. Yep. And on we move, I think, to individual bonds, right? So again, this is a, I won't spend a whole heck of a lot of time on exactly what a bond is. I feel like most folks know, right? It, you're lending your money to someone in return for a fixed interest rate, generally speaking, a fixed interest rate, and the return of your principal at the end of the term, right? So it's, explain it like a CD to most yeah. folks, right? Yeah. If you, it, it, like if go a, to the bank, You if you buy a CD... Essentially, you're lending your money to the bank, right? You give the bank $10,000. They say, All right, I'm going to pay you 4% interest for the next five years. And at the end, I'm going to give you your $10,000 back, right? Mm-hmm. So essentially, a bond is the same thing, but you're lending that money to a company, right? And maybe Apple wants to build a, a new factory to make some iPhones. And so they may. We'll want to raise some money. And so they say, oh, we're going to issue a bond to raise the money to build our new factory. And we're going to pay it'll be a 10-year bond and we're going to raise 50 billion and the interest rate will be 4%. So that's what a bond is. Again, very similar in setup to a CD where you're just lending your money. And it could be to a company, right? It could be to the government government bonds are a huge part of the overall bond universe, and, and essentially it's a it's a fixed investment. Although generally speaking, the value of your bond can fluctuate yep. depending on interest rates, which we very can different like from better.
1: CDs. Very different. <laughs> very CDs different in this regard.
0: Yep. Although you can buy yeah some CDs. Some CDs. Yeah.
1: Market CDs. You can Yeah. Yep. If you're
0: in a brokerage account, there you may see the actual price of your of your CD fluctuate, but in general, the term right. The key part of a bond is the terms are fixed, and it's a safer investment, right? So so if you're issuing a bond, let's just say to, to a company as in contrast to the stock, the bond is let's call it so like higher in the capital structure, right? So if the company goes out of business, the bondholders will get their money first. There may be an order of the specific types of bond bondholders uh-huh. get their money back first. But generally speaking, if a if you invest in the stock of a company and the bond of a company, you're you're safer and will get more of your money back in the event of bankruptcy if you own the bond as opposed to the stock. The, tra- the trade-off being you don't really have much upside if you own an individual bond, right? You, the terms are the terms. yeah, you lend your money, they pay you the interest rate as long as they're still in business at the end, they pay you your money back and voila you've you've made you've earned your interest and you're you're all set and you get your money back and you go on and move on with your whatever your next investment is.
1: Not much upside unless the interest rate is unusually high. I have a client that I met years ago who's, I think her father originally took out a, had a substantial amount of money invested in a Turkish bond, paying paying like 15%. Yeah. Interest and this was—I don't know if it went back eight or ten years or something—certainly to a period of time where interest rates were really low in this country. Yeah. So the, the thats a that's a very risky bond. If you're, if you're yeah. investing in a municipality or a government or. a a country that maybe isn't quite as stable as the U.S. in terms right. of the government, yeah. and there's may, risk may associated a dictator, with that. Right? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So far has been so far so good for this particular. Yeah. I'm not encouraging anyone to take undue risk and invest in bonds of countries like that. But interesting story, and right. in that yeah. In that case, there was upside, but a lot of risk as well in terms of, is she going to have her capital back when that bond matures? Is Turkey going to have the capital to pay that bond back? There's a risk there. But generally with corporate bonds of highly rated corporations and United States bonds, of financially healthy governments is not nearly that much. Yeah, and
0: you certainly. So, yeah, when I say lack of upside, so at the initial Purchase of the bond. If you're if you subscribe to the initial offering of that Turkish bond, mm-hmm. then the no upside from there. no upside yeah, from yeah, that. Yeah, you right. get your eight percent return, it, and then you're going right. to get your ten thousand dollars back at the end. If you're if you're the uh, the second person to buy that bond after after Turkey's elected some a government that maybe is a little bit less trusted by the world, then all of a sudden you may the price of that bond may have gone down, and you may be buying it, and you may have all of a sudden you have a 10% return and maybe some appreciation potential because you bought the $10,000 bond for $8,000. So you can certainly buy, you can buy and sell bonds as the potential for, for you you can, there are total return bond funds, which try to buy bonds that may appreciate over time in addition to collecting their coupon payments. But yeah, yeah. When I say no upside, I just mean the terms of the bond are set in advance. And it's not, if you, Bought a bond from from a twenty year bond from Apple back in the two thousands. You're not you're not doing cartwheels like if you had bought the stock. You're not participating in that appreciation, whereas the right. stockholder is
1: not the same upside as a stockholder, even a dividend paying stockholder. Yeah i understand Yeah. see so we
0: from a cost point of view if we follow our if we follow our outline here bonds are still first of all it's a huge market right the bond market i actually don't yeah i didn't, I didn't look it up but it's a much larger market than the stock market is oh
1: i didn't know that actually um,
0: i'm pretty sure i have that right because you, you're talking about all the governments so generally yeah. all the governments of the world are issuing bonds and then you add in all the corporations the municipalities it's a very large market and the costs are a little for the individual investor, the costs are a little bit higher. If you think about it, every individual every bond issuance is an individual event. so it's not it's not General Motors just has one bond, right? General Motors can issue they could issue a series of bonds every six months if they wanted to, right? So they're they all have their own individ, own individual. Characteristics. You can write them up, right? You can write a bond that's that's not collateralized, right? That has no collateral behind it. It's just, oh, I'm General Motors. I promise to pay you back this money. Thumbs up here, buy it because you think I'm going to be in business. There, are, you may also write a bond where it's collateralized by. I'm going to issue this bond and I'm going to use it to buy a bunch of equipment. And if I go under, you can have the equipment. So kind of every bond has its own. Set of instructions, which makes it a kind of a more complicated thing, and it's not just. Wh- whereas the stock market is fairly simple, right? Apple just has Apple stock. They may have, they may have preferred stock. They may have yeah. different shares, yeah. share classes of stock. But for the most part, it's very, it's very similar whereas the bond market can can be there's be hundreds and hundreds of thousands of different bonds out there whereas in, in the stock market in the US there's 5000 companies and that's it. Okay.
1: I found some numbers here indicating this is from November of this year according <laughs> to right. the Securities Industry and <laughs> Financial Markets Association. I've never heard of that myself, but this says that the global bond market was worth $126.9 trillion at the end of last year compared to $124.4 trillion oh, global, global equity market cap. So you were right. Oh, man, just yeah, barely yeah. though. Just I was, barely. I thought it
0: was significantly bigger. That's cool.
1: Maybe that's global. Maybe in the U.S., the bond. Yeah. Maybe it's different in the U.S., Yeah.
0: I don't know. All right, I knew it was bigger, but I guess well, maybe not for long. Who knows? Another by next month, it could be bigger. Okay, yeah. So just so as far as it's just a little bit, it's more complex of a market. Air four. There are some generally some higher trading fees so i think it cost. it probably cost don't hold me to this right because every brokerage is different but it probably cost you 25 or 50 bucks to buy a bond at this point it's not we haven't gone to free trading in bonds at least not where we are and i don't think in most of the marketplace again we only work currently with, with td ameritrade i can't speak to every brokerage out there but you tend to if you're going to buy an individual bond you tend to pay up a little bit right you do have denominations of bonds generally speaking they're in like a $1000 increments right so you do need a few bucks to build a portfolio of individual bonds you also you're also going to pay a little bit more in on the commission side and as this because it's because a lot of that market i think is dominated by bigger players right if you're a let's say you're a pension fund and you want to you have all these liabilities in the future and you say all right well, I want have this person retire here this person retire yeah. there I need to plan for my future payouts from my pension fund so I'm going to go buy a huge block of government bonds right I'm gonna, I'm going to go buy 10 million dollars worth of a of a 10-year US government bond and you may you lots and lots of that with these huge players insurance companies and banks all buying big blocks of bonds and so you just tend to get the pricing isn't quite as good for an isn't as good for an individual that's in the stock market that's really gone away where an individual and an institution can essentially buy stock for pretty much for, I would say close to the same price it's not quite that way in the bond market. But again, it's not super expensive to buy bonds. It's, the prices certainly come down like everything else, but it's not quite there with stocks. Not quite as on par with the stock market.
1: It doesn't seem to me that individual bond purchases by individuals are near – they're not nearly as common as individual yep. stock purchases. I meet very few investors that have – individual bonds in their portfolio versus a diversified bond investment. Whereas it's very common to own individual stocks, maybe because of the trading costs, but they just don't seem to be that common, commonly purchased by individual investors. No, I
0: can't, now that I think about it, I think there's very few times when we've come, when we've come across people holding individual bonds, it's, and I, I think that market does lend itself more to folks who are very much buy and hold, I don't think I don't think the average individual bond holder is doing a whole heck of a lot of trading. If I yeah. talk to, and it's also tends to be wealthier folks, but I'll run into folks who have individual bond portfolios, maybe in in municipal bonds. So oh, yeah. I'm fairly wealthy. But what I'm going to do is I'm just going to go buy massive, highly rated Massachusetts because I live in Massachusetts municipal bonds. And I'm going to just, I'm going to ladder those bonds and I'm going to own one through 10 year maturities. And every time my, uh, my one year bond matures, I'm going to go ahead and buy another one. It's, it does lend itself to more to buy and hold. I think normally that's usually when I run into someone who has a bond portfolio, that's more often than not what they're doing.
1: Yeah. Well, you know what? And they're not as exciting. Like people get excited to hold individual (laughs) equities because they can be so exciting in good markets. And there's like immediate gratification. There can be immediate gratification where, you know, you and I were talking like there's just limited upside with a bond. You get what you get your money back in 10 years. It's not exciting. It's just it's stable. It's it's not really for someone who's looking for shorter term excitement in their portfolio. Yeah. So I think that's probably a part of the reason. They're not it is as, not they're intellectually not
0: stimulating. Yes, if you, exactly. If
1: you're, <laughs> yeah, if, if you're
0: building your own yes. bond portfolio, yeah. you are a long-term thinker and you're also probably conservative, right? And, yeah. and again, that's what when I talk to someone who has a bond portfolio, that generally would describe them. Right there and again, for whatever reason, it's usually municipal bonds, at least where I run into them because hey, I don't want to pay any taxes, and I don't want to deal with a whole heck of a lot of volatility in my portfolio, and I don't have to to have to worry about it, and so I'm going to go buy some boring old some boring old Massachusetts municipal bonds, and I'll clip my coupons and make a few bucks, but it's and not have to worry too much about volatility um, um, you know, the, go yeah ahead. go ahead yeah.
1: no, I was just gonna you were right about the domestic bond market is almost twice the size of the domestic stock market. Okay. okay. This fool.com is telling me again I don't know the, the exact <laughs> credibility but this is indicating that the in the US the bond market is about 40 trillion okay. in value whereas the domestic the US stock market is about 20 trillion.
0: Okay. Yeah, so, if I had to speculate, that's probably because our U.S. government bonds are in, in demand by the rest of the world. By whereas the rest of the world, yeah. 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 If you're a smart, we don't buy a lot of the bonds, Chilean bonds. But whereas yeah. people in Chile may be more, I would say, more likely to go buy a U.S. bond just
1: because- of how, Especially now, especially in right. recent months as interest rates <laughs> have come way up. Yep. That's right. But yeah.
0: And again, just back to on the bond side, I think one of the- benefits to owning an individual bond. Again, we mentioned fairly boring, right? You just get your interest rate and you get your money back at the end, assuming the company's still around or the government's still around. You don't have to worry as much about volatility, right? So just the way that the bond works, right? Anytime you own a bond inside of a brokerage account, that brokerage account will be changing the value if anytime the value of that bond changes they're going to report it to you however you don't that's not necessarily there, there's more certainty as, with regard to the ending right so you really can pay you can just say i'm not going to really pay attention to the fluctuation of my individual bonds yes i know they're fluctuating right. but at the end i know they're all going right. to mature at bar as long as whatever the state of massachusetts is still around and able to pay its bills I don't have to worry about that volatility whereas in a bond fund or a bond etf that volatility can be more real right and if the bond fund does own underlying bonds and so technically they're they have the if they have the same investment they can make the same calculation where all right i'm just going to hold this bond to maturity and then i'll get my i'll get my par value back but they could the underlying manager might sell the bond right you can right. if you're buying and selling and being active with it you can lock in a loss, whereas if you just hold the individual bond, it's less of a worry. Again, as long as your, as long as the credit worthiness of your issuer holds up.
1: Yeah, it is. I have one client that has a U.S. government bond, individual bond, in her portfolio, and she's had it since she. Be- came a client and it is oh, fun. Yeah. It, is, it has been intellectually stimulating and fun over the last <laughs> few years to monitor that as interest rates have changed and the market value of that has changed and to be constantly, or when I speak to her, not constantly, periodically recalculating her yield to maturity yeah. and yes. making sure, evaluating whether or not it makes sense to hold versus not and stuff like that. So that's been interesting, especially this year. Interest rates have changed so much and market value has changed on individually held bonds.
0: Right. Yeah, you, you get yeah the way that a bond is priced, right, is based on it's basically based on the cash flows, and in this particular case, the one you're talking about is a strip, right? The tre- that's the treasury strip yeah. where there's no coupon. Right, that's it's. It,
1: I think that's right, it just it matures at a certain right. It just yeah. it's
0: kind of yeah. Like, yeah you, so you essentially just buy it at a discount, and there's an implied rate of return, but you get all your money back. There's no periodic investment. There's no periodic interest payment on it. Yeah. So you tend to get a more that's more volatile because none of your cash flow. If you think about if you right. a standard bond, some of your cash flow is going to come back to you in six months, and then another, and then more of it's coming back in another twelve months. So if inflation goes up or interest rate goes up, that's might be bad for those two next two payments, but it's not as bad as the as for the payments that come ten years from now. Right. The change in interest affects affects the longer term. The longer the term is, it multiplies the effect of kind of the change, and so you get more volatility. So yeah, that's an right. interesting. It's right? up once you get into uh, bonds. I think the ones that we mo- that that pop into our head are fairly simple, but it's a very it can be a very complex market again because you get to every bond issuer gets to write the rules about all right this is what it, I think they're called I should call them their covenants the bond covenants can be different from bond to bond and so you get this you get a very diversified marketplace outside of the big ones that sort of everyone is familiar with oh there's the U.S government the 10-year U.S government bond they yeah. issue a 10-year bond there's an interest rate and they pay you back at the end of 10 years those are fairly simple but it gets fairly deep and again so full disclosure and you know, I should have disclosed the individual stock part too. We don't recommend any individual stocks, nor do we do uh, individual bonds. Obviously, we work with folks who have both, but we're not making recommendations on either. Uh, I think I should disclose that. Yeah. Do you have anything else? On um, individual just bond time?
1: just no, I don't think so. Not maybe who it's appropriate for was like we did for individual equities, and as you mentioned, conservative yeah. investors looking for unless you're looking at a for example, this Turkish bond <laughs> that, yeah. that wouldn't necessarily be appropriate <laughs> yeah. for a conservative investor. But, um, uh, I think I
0: remember when those Turkish bonds came out they, really? there was a time when they were very popular. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I want to say she's had it 15 or 20 years yeah. and it's, yeah. it's set to mature five years from now or something. And all right. yeah, she's crossing her fingers that she's going to get that principal back. But meanwhile, she's had all of her coupon payments have been honored to date. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, just in general, bonds are appropriate for conservative investors looking for stable cash flow, predictable principal back in the future, yep. um, just more appropriate for a more conservative investor, not necessarily looking for upside, but looking for cash flow um, and principal protection.
0: Yeah, I think in the place where we're at now, again, the cost of of bond funds is also way down. With the advent of the ETF, which I know we're going to talk about here shortly, you can get very low cost exposure to the bond market as a whole. For folks who are looking for individual bonds, generally it's higher net worth, even probably even higher, even larger accounts than for folks who are owning individual stocks. People who have set, if you have a known liability at a given time in the future right i know you can you know you can use cds for this as well but you could probably also you could use a bond depending on when the interest rates are oh i have this uh college payment it's coming in six years and i'm gonna go buy a six-year u.s government bond and i'm just gonna i'm gonna layer my college payments into this bond and i'm not gonna worry about it at all i'm just gonna the u.s government's as guaranteed as it gets and so I'll go ahead and I'm going to put 50 grand into each one of these bonds. And I'll just, as they mature, I'll then throw them into my college. Whatever the future liability is, that's certainly appropriate. Again, it's not all that common, but it's certainly something that you could look at. Yeah. If the interest on that particular strategy is more than, say, CD at the bank, is. you could do something very similar depending on the terms available to you okay. at your individual bank. And yeah, again... Yeah so higher net worth conservative if you're buy and holdy right if there there are certain bonds that you can buy that you, there, there really isn't a whole lot of risk in them right you can if you're buying government bonds or very high quality corporates it's it, there's your default risk is very low and in that case you can probably build your own portfolio that's you probably do an okay job doing that as, as long as you have enough money because again, when you're buying bonds, a lot of times you need to be that they're offered maybe in dollar or ten thousand dollar increments, and so you do have to have a few bucks to put together a fairly diversified portfolio. Even if you're diversification, mm-hmm. I want to do multiple. My it's, if it's term diversification, right, where I want I want to want a two or three or four or five or six or seven. If you want to do a bond ladder, that's complex. Here, all of a sudden, you're running into a bunch of money that you need.
1: Yeah. Fair to say that generally speaking, bond is going to say, generally speaking, bond yields are higher than CD yields. But for, I guess, generally speaking, that would be the case for lo- longer term. End. Yeah, I, it mean, de- I think it depends.
0: You probably will get a depends, fairly yeah. similar, right, if you're the government. A government bond, right, and a CD are of the same term are probably usually fairly similar. And obviously, supply and demand would push them in one direction or the other. But if you think about it, the, the end guarantor of a government bond is is the same guarantor as your CD, right, via the FDIC. Yeah. You, it's essentially the same guarantee. It's just a different product. So I would think you generally would get a very similar return. Once you step up in risk level, obviously, you, you'll want to be paid for that, right? You don't want to, mm-hmm. if you can get a bank CD at 4% for the next three. Years, you don't want to go buy a corporate bond at the exact same thing unless there's some appreciation potential for you. So, yeah, but I would just again, it's I think most of the people listening right now probably don't own any individual bonds, and you probably won't either, especially now that bond exposure is so cheap and the ETF market is really is taking some of the some of the the, the pain points of bonds, which is the individual cost to buy shares, and also and in innovating on that size where you can just buy an ETF now that has. A maturity date, right? Instead of buying a bunch of bonds that are that, that mature in 2025, I can just buy an ETF that matures in 2025 and it owns hundreds of bonds. And so yeah. I'm diversified and I'm, I have pretty low costs. And so I don't think most people are going to end up buying them, but they're investable. So I figured we'd touch on them today. Yeah. How much time do we have left before the break?
1: Just a couple minutes.
0: Oh my gosh, we're we talked to...
1: about bonds for a lot longer than we thought we would. <laughs> thought Justin I... has only 16 so... more investment securities on the list. Uh, well, some of them will be quick because at least the ones we're going to make are... sure to get into those structured products that everyone is hearing about at Christmas parties. Yeah, I'm <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. Just uh... a couple minutes so we could introduce the next. All right,
0: so yeah, I mean, we'll, go, we'll go into. I think maybe I'll just start the <laughs> preferred stock and convertible bonds, although those are. I don't know how how quickly those are going to go, but so I'll just jump into it. Preferred stock again, both of these I'll put them sort of in a similar in a similar bucket where it's kind of like stock bond hybrids a little bit, right? A preferred stock yeah. and a convertible bond. A preferred stock is a it's an ownership stake in a company. However, it generally comes with a fixed dividend pay, which is again it's more bond like yeah and it g- also generally comes with its se- it's senior in the capital structure which means that it preferred stockholders will be paid out in the event of a bankruptcy before common stockholders are right so again b- both of those where you're getting like a fixed dividend and also a also a a, 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 a more senior spot in the capital structure those are more bond like and the, the downside of preferred stock is they don't have quite the appreciation potential again this is a this is again the market for preferred stock i think is about 1.2 trillion and it's yeah, only small yeah it's a and i think only a small percentage of that is actually investable i did look at some preferred there's only 15 preferred i should wrap it up okay all right we'll get into more. On that I really know,
1: quickly after no the people break people are, are
0: dying to oh yeah about preferred stock so this is mcnamara on money my name is justin mcnamara alongside Alyssa mcnamara Reed.